I'm Cray Beaumont Flynn. Welcome to Beyond the Design, a show that gives you a peek behind the curtain of the design industry and shares the stories of those that are the driving force behind it. Well, welcome to Beyond the Design today, and we, it's our pleasure to have Ryan Jackson on our show today. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we'll just jump right into it, and why don't you start and tell us a little bit about your journey into the field of interior design and uh, launching your own furniture collection. Sure. So maybe I have a linear and not-so-linear line into design. Um, I'm a third generation designer. My father and grandfather was an engineer working in a design capacity. And uh, on paper, it seems like a very linear march, but my my way here was actually really kind of roundabout uh, all throughout my life. Uh, my family's from Europe and everybody told me, you're going to be a designer. And, you know, I used to laugh at them and just, you know, it couldn't <laughs> seem further from anything I was interested right. in, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> and as I was begrudgingly drug around museums in Europe and the U.S. and sort of, you know, staring at the floor and half engaging with what was happening there. Um, maybe some seeds were being planted, but um, I wanted to be a firefighter and I was one. And I went into the military and was a firefighter and wow. went in this sort of completely different direction. Uh, and when I got out of the service and um, went to college, I took an art history class because I was forced to. And I had been interested in it. I took it in high school as sort of a prerequisite. Um, and loved art history and thought, wow, this is really interesting and got into it uh, and was dating an interior designer at the time who just, they were having some internships and, you know, <laughs> the, the gentleman who was running it had said, oh, you know, I saw some of your father's work, you know, in the 80s in LA. That was pretty great stuff. You know, do you like design? And I was sort of, you know, sure. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Love it. It's great. Uh, and, you know, the gentleman offered me an internship. After about two weeks, I knew it's what I had to do. Um, and a lot of things fell into line over years of exposure, and I knew more and felt more about it than I, I realized, I think. So you chose um, your right path. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think it found, it found me. It sort of sent me away like a boomerang, and I sort of came out, <laughs> out back and around. So being in your own business, having your own uh, firm, is there a Ryan ja uh, Jackson aesthetic or a feel and look and tone? Well, I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't say there's necessarily a look. I think, you know, clients come to us for an edited aesthetic that's, you know, an informed, uh, very much a contemporary informed vocabulary. You know, the international style modernism to me is, is something that's really uh, where my passion lies. But, you know, coming from an art history background, things that are very, very hysterically, uh, historically informed in materiality and layout and sometimes even to the depths that people don't realize. I'm mm -hmm. using those quite a traditional understanding to my work, though, you know, edited Contemporary interiors is probably what people would, would sort of categorize as, as my work and what people come to me for. So are you mainly residential or do you do commercial work as well? Yeah, but for the vast part. And any of the commercial jobs and things that I've done are for clients of mine that, you know, we'd love for you to do our offices because, we, you know, it's a high compliment to, you know, love the home they have and they want that same sort of hand or touch put into where they work. But yes, primarily in the, in the residential realm. Is there a creative process that you actually have formatted that you work through when you get a new job, a new project? Sure. I mean, I think, yes, I think the answer is yes. I mean, I think the, the beginning of any sort of design relationship well before anyone's been hired is it's really, you know, that analogy of the dance is, is very true. I mean, I think right. you're sort of, when you're signing up to work with someone in a, in a ground up 
you know, residential project, which is what 99% of ours, if they're not historical restoration or completely reimagining something is you're really going to be getting in bed with this person for, you right. know, it can be up to seven <laughs> years. Right. Um, and you should really know if you like each other. And it's even just a, a basis of communication, a basis of, um, do you, do you just like them? It's on a base level. Yeah. Are they right. funny? Are they interesting? You know, we, we are fortunate to get to have a window in our career of getting to know people and understand how they live and how best to respond to how they live. Because this isn't just, you know, having good taste isn't enough being an interior designer. You have to bring more to the table when you're working on the highest level of projects. You want, you're going to be educating people. They're going to be educating you on how they live. And you're going to then have to respond there too. And that's already a tough dance or a balance or a way to interface information with people. So if there's not a mm -hmm. great through line in the beginning, I want to make sure that, that we're going to have an enjoyable process. It's not easy, but it should be enjoyable. And, you know, and then from there, it's about a, an exchange of ideas. Because if you've established that you communicate in a enjoyable and linear way together, then it's, you know, that's when the fun starts. That's when mm -hmm. you really get to connect with somebody and understand what does this particular home need to do from them? Is it, you know, a ski lodge in Aspen for a family of six people? Or is it a bachelor pad high rise for an art collector? Mm -hmm. You know, all of those right. programmatic pieces will come into play. And then from there, I'm gleaning and listening as much as I'm bringing and pushing design onto people. Right, right. I always equate it to almost like dating. You know, you go on a first date, it may be less an hour, then it may be two hours a second, you know? <laughs> more involved in dating. <laughs> Way more involved in dating. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit more highs and lows, but hey. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. Yes. Hey, at, least, at least you get paid at the end, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is, yeah, that, that's definitely part of the equation. So is there a, um, a particular process when you start onboarding, I guess, that client that you work with them to kind of decipher what their design aesthetic is and where they're trying to go and maybe steer them a different way because they don't understand. They just bring you this pretty picture. They want their house to look like this. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, I think that adage of, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words is very true. You know, we'll use, we're a very tactile firm and, you know, the idea of, you know, looking at actual physical magazines, ripping out pages and understanding people can voice their design aesthetic, but a lot of the times they, they aren't armed with enough to be able to convey what they're looking for. And our mm -hmm. initial process that we have is really based around, we call it an image exchange, but, you know, a working exchange where we'll come to people in the beginning with a couple of different mood boards that are informed by the people who they are, the piece of architecture we're responding to. Uh, and, you know, how they're going to live in that house and what I think is appropriate. Mm -hmm. And then we'll start this, you know, sort of exchange of ideas and mood boards and concepts. And it can be as loose as, you know, images on a page on an old collage board. You know, I use a pin board where I'll just, you know, pin pictures of things that right. I think are of interest to me or relevance to this project. And what sort of shakes out starts to become the beginning of this exchange uh, for what the client's going to get. And we do the same thing with materiality that's, you know, that we talk to everyone on the team. I don't think the design happens in a, here's your house, here's your plan, here's your, you know, what's happening. And people right. say yes or no, one way or the other. It's much more of a dialogue. So we treat you, it as that throughout the whole process. Do you challenge the client and yourself as a creative in the project? I have to. If it didn't, it would yeah. be boring. You know, when you sort <laughs> of see yeah. a, a formulaic process where you'll see someone just sort of stamp out the same project over again. Yeah. I, I, for me, I don't know that I would be, would keep me as intrigued. I love that exchange of how you know, none of my projects necessarily, you know, though you'll see 
similarity and in, in an understanding of design or a way to resolve a certain approach. Each one is very different because they're not Ryan's design. They're Ryan's response to this individual couple, this mm -hmm. individual person and how they should live within it. So my process really, you know, I, I follow my clients. There is informed and strong points of view that I express and I'm happy to push back. The second that I'm telling my clients what they want to hear, they don't need me. They, right, right. You know, I meant I'm there to challenge them. You're and the professional. The day, they should make a decision <laughs> that works for them, but they're making it from an informed standpoint at that point. Is there a particular project that you can think of that challenged you creatively? I wouldn't take it if I didn't think it was going to challenge no. me creatively. But <laughs> well, that's good. Um, I mean, I think one of the ones that I think was that always comes to my mind when you know that sort of exchange comes up. I um, was uh, brought on in a project. I met with a client who bought a house by Bob Ray Offenhauser, who is an old Los Angeles architect who just has done some amazing estates all over the city. And he was challenged to build a, a replica of a, you know, let's say, thousand-year-old Chinese mansion that was found in China and built it in, in Beverly Hills. And mm -hmm. my clients saw this house, and it was just on a remarkable, it's probably on one of LA's best streets, great piece of property. And um, they came to the house and I was meeting with them and seeing their aesthetic and seeing this house. And I remember coming to them. They hadn't hired me yet. And I said, I just, this is a beautiful home, very traditional Chinese aesthetic. And I just said to them, I said, you know, whether you work with me or not, I just have to ask you this question. If you don't love Asian architecture, this isn't the house for you, whether you hire me or not. <laughs> And they both looked at me and I have to tell you, I think they might to an extent have been a bit off put. And they said, no, no, we do love it. I said, well, great. And then we're starting from a great place. And we went on to, you know, reimagine this house for a contemporary art, a, you know, a couple who are contemporary art collectors and honored the architecture at the time. But that, that was a challenging dance of respecting this piece of architecture and what made it special and unique while managing the program of a client who's, you know, their program was, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was the tightest of parallels for starters. In the end, I'm very proud of what we did and, you know, um, turned out beautifully. Are there any key factors you can think of when you consider designing a space or an entire project? Say that again. Was there any feedback? Any key factors? Oh, and, I mean, to me, luxury materials, understanding the massing and proportion and the function of the space are what I sort of run every, every project through. If, mm -hmm. if the proportion and the massing of the room is not right, everything will fail. If it, you know, if it's a room around a, you know, a great view, if it's a room around a focusing a piece of art, if it's a room around, the, you know, the function of a library, you know, books, you know, being right. the function. If until there's a clear function in the room, I'll lose if I don't respond to the function of the room. So realistically, identifying that and then mm -hmm. honoring it is really what brings the best room out, in my opinion. So when you take on a project and after completion, do you always give your own specific Ryan Jackson twist to it? So if someone walked in that room, it's like, oh, I think I know who did this. Um, I, I mean, I guess I, I think if, if one was to look at the work as a, as a through line across the body, I would say there are, you know, things that are quintessentially things that I will do or ways that I'll resolve design, mm -hmm. um, resolve design, be it, you know, in materiality or, or finish or the way materials connect connection of material is probably the one that would, I'd have to come to mind, you know, um, you know, depending on who you ask, <laughs> maybe they would say reveals. Um, but you know, I think <laughs> they're just, you know, 
the connection of materiality is as much quintessentially, you know, my look as as any sort of, you know, a pink chair. You know, some people uh-huh. sort of have a, a a go-to thing that they sort of dust with. To me, it's, you know, it's really about how much more can I edit? Right. It, where it's your vast uh, portfolio, just California, or you do uh, work nationally as well? No, I mean, right now we have projects in New York and Nashville. You know, Southern California is the basis of most of our work um, mm-hmm. as far as our design firm uh, goes. But yeah, you know, we go where, where, our clients, where our clients need us. So a lot of designers have taken the leap after a considerable amount of time and bring on their own furniture collection, which you have done. What made you have that spark of light? It's like, you know what? I'm going to just add something else <laughs> to well, the level I, you know, of what I you actually do. went to school for furniture design. That was oh. my sort of entree into the world. And as I studied furniture design in school and I went on to work as a furniture designer um, in my you know early days, I quickly realized that I was going to hit a glass ceiling very quickly if I didn't have a design practice to sort of hang around the furniture I was designing. <laughs> you know, I was fortunate to work for Jim Magney for seven years and he was an amazing mentor to me and who also had a furniture line. And I realized in working with him that I couldn't just do one. Right, and it was right. always my goal to have a, you know, to do furniture. That's how I started my entree into design was, was as such. So uh, for me, it was always a very linear line to, to you know, design furniture and understand. I mean, I think I probably design rooms as furniture is constructed realistically. If you were really to look at it that way, I think I actually apply furniture design tactics to design these space <laughs> as much as anything. So for me, it was a natural progression. I always knew I would do it. And, um, you know, as soon as I sort of had the means and time and effort to to compile a line and launch it, I did at Maison Objet USA in Miami. Oh, fantastic. That's very prestigious to actually get your line and collection notice there. Now, when you design a project, are you thinking of also new pieces you want to start designing for your collection or new collection that you want to actually install in new projects? Well, I mean, I, th- I think I don't actually use a ton of my own furniture in my design. Uh-huh. I think some designers, as part of their look is, you know, a house full of their own furniture. I will often have my clients actually want more pieces of my furniture <laughs> in their house. And, hey, you know, I not? think the balance Design is about balance. It's about curation. It's about mm-hmm. selecting and the dialogue between the pieces you select in a room. You fill a room with all one things at a certain point, you know, where are you just shopping furniture versus creating a dialogue in a home for somebody between the pieces, the art and the piece of architecture itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes so very flat. Sometimes in a project, it'll become evident that such a thing doesn't exist that you need. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm looking for a footstool that does such, you know, in this materiality proportioned as such. And, you know, something can come to life from that. But um, I don't often find myself sort of saying, great, this is going to be the, you know, Ryan footstool room. Uh, But should, you know, (laughs) does sometime end up that way? Yeah, sure it does. Sure it does. But uh, the way I design my furniture is to be amongst other furniture, not to sort of be within the room. It's it's Mm -hmm. meant to be a cast member amongst many others. So what inspires you when you start creating of pieces to add to your collection? I mean, everything really. I mean, I think as far as, you know, sort of stylistically, the 30s, the 80s, you know, to Pre Lafon, Jean-Michel Franck, the architecture of Richard Meyer, a bus stop I see driving down the street. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't, they're not all these sort of high grand, you know, ideas. Finding an interesting rock on a hike right. and picking it up off the floor and finding 
if you look right in front of my computer, there's just stacks of rocks here next <laughs> next to me because I'll find something of an interesting shape and it doesn't need to be of high design. It doesn't need to be of something really beautiful. Maybe it's a materiality. Maybe it's just amassing. I'm constantly being sort of finding things. And if you, if you were to scan through the picture camera roll on my phone, 80% uh -huh. of the things you'd be like, what is this? And I know exactly, <laughs> this is a great idea for a foot detail on a chair. Or, you know, that's how we're going to rectify that fireplace. But, you know, most of it is just things I come across. It all comes together. <laughs> it, it is. It all does. <laughs> Not linear, but it does. <laughs> what motivates you as a designer, as a creative? The need to learn, I think, more than anything. I think design is one thing. The two things I loved about design the most and what drive me to push even more is you'll never know it all. There's mm -hmm. no way to know it all. There's constantly something to learn, be it from knowledge of antiques to materiality to the you know, way a certain material will perform and how you can push it to its extremes to convey your design ideas. And then it's never different. I mean, it's never the same. It's always different. Every day mm -hmm. is different, be it two almost identical projects on the same street in the same city of the same size. When you run that through the filter of the clients, they're two different people having different experiences. And in such, that dynamic's gonna be different. Mm -hmm. And the, the desire to constantly learn or constantly grow and expand as a designer, and also to collaborate with the team I have that's amazing. And I, you know, I'm a, a person amongst the team. Um, and I pride myself on that in my studio, where it's a very collaborative effort amongst everybody that's here. And we drive each other to grow, to expand and continue to learn and get better. If, if you could learn it all, I would probably be bored already, but you just oh, can't. True. No. Thankfully, there is. So <laughs> striving yeah. to just continue to develop, I think, is one of the biggest drivers for me. You have to continue to absorb uh, ideas and thoughts. And Is there a particular project that you can think of that epitomizes your career up to date that you really say, this is a project that I could do 10 times over because you enjoyed it so much and so much passion and drive went into it, Ooh. which I'm sure is every project, but one, is yeah, I'm going to say one is very hard. <laughs> one is hard to say. I, I think maybe what I could say the most and with the most level of confidence is, is that I've been fortunate to have some clients from the very beginning of my career who I've been fortunate to do multiple homes for at this time. And there's part of a collaborative of experience that I have with that particular couple who um, have not only become dear friends of mine and mentors as well as clients. And I've been working on a home for them actively since I've been in business. Wow. Uh, and they are all very different homes with very different programs. Um, and, you know, the, the cross section of work I've done with that particular client has been really amazing and challenging everything from a ground up construction to, you know, a historical restoration of a house that was recently, uh, recently featured in AD uh, that we did that, you know, really took me, you know, high 80s glam is not what people know of Ryan Jackson, but this particular <laughs> house, you know, that is what this house was and what it needed to be. And I said, if you're not going to redo it to this sort of this edge and we'll run it through a filter that feels informed, this is not the right piece of architecture for you to own. Um, mm. That said, I could list five other projects right off the top of my head that I felt shaped me in a certain way. That's fantastic. Do you think there are any exciting trends that you find uh, particularly interesting? I think the one trend that I get, I always feel that it, there's a, so let's call it a subculture trend of not following trends um, I, is the one that always resonates to me. Timeless mm -hmm. will always work. I 
just recently was in the studio and um, it was a great compliment paid to me by somebody who's one of the newest people on our team. And they were looking at the film for this project and just said, wow, this house feels great. It feels amazing. I'm like, yeah, we did that 20 years ago. I worked on that project 20 years ago. Wow. And the fact that the house looked as, I mean, these, these particular clients maintain them, you know, beautifully and the house looked amazing. But to me, that is great design is timeless. Mm-hmm. Thoughtful curation is timeless. And, you know, trends will come and go. And, you know, does, does somebody, you know, I'm just in love with maroon right now. Right. I personally am. <laughs> I just think it's amazing. Uh, the color maroon to me is just really hitting home. A 1990s Alexander McQueen maroon is about as great <laughs> as it can be for today for me. So you buy a pillow that's maroon. You don't paint your house maroon. Right, when, you, right. when you decide that that sort of moment is done for you, you buy a new pillow. Right. Uh, but I think what resonates the most is a shelf life and what's something that has staying power. In classic mm. design, you look at a piece of architecture from Louis Kahn or something like that, as relevant today as it was when it was done. You talked you know, about how, as a designer, how do you create that for somebody? That's, a, right. that's the biggest accomplishment is when you can pass that over to somebody. You talked a lot about materiality. Is there any particular materials and finishes that you are drawn to and your, that are your go-to? Uh, sure. Yes, of course. Um, I mean, I think woods, the manipulation of woods. I mean, to me, I love taking woods that are quintessentially traditional or in the mm-hmm. processes that are traditional and adapting them into contemporary usage. Like in my furniture line, for example, we use a lot of um, woods, specifically oaks. I happen to love oak and we have really amazing oak here in the U.S., in the Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest, and we'll do American white oak. But we'll use, you know, 18th century French um, processes like, you know, the idea of, you know, either lime washing woods and do it in a contemporary way where we will bleach all the pigment out of them. It's almost like a take on a ceruse where we'll bleach all the pigment out of them. We'll wire brush them. And as opposed to using gesso as they would have, we'll use titanium white paint, which is like the basis of all paint starts is titanium white and using contemporary technologies and applications in traditional woods. And I think there's something that we are constantly playing with when I talked about earlier on this idea of contemporary and edited design that's informed by traditional method and means, you know, using, you know, marbles and granites or terrazzo or, or, or Venetian plaster in very contemporary homes. None of those are quintessentially mm-hmm. contemporary materials, per right, se. Right. but how do you adapt them into a way that feels, you know, established, not, you know, it's not just one more white box. Right. <laughs> we've all, we're like, not like just enough already with, you know, just, just, just white is not enough. Right. Right. I love Sarustwood. It's one of my favorites and American Walnut. Those are my go-to. Is there anything, um, when you do a project, do you do a lot of collaborations with other designers? Or are you pretty much a single source? Yeah, I mean, normally, to me, the the collaboration that that always seems to, you know, pan out is the architect, the builder, the landscape architect, and the designer. Like, those are Mm -hmm. the people that, from the beginning of the project, if it's an informed project, we should all be there in early days. Uh, I think it's almost a misconception that comes up with clients sometimes that it's going to cost them more money to have everybody on because they see themselves writing the checks earlier in the process. The check's going to be written at some point. Pay me now, pay me later. Right. But the informed home that comes from all of those collaborators being on board from early days vastly outweighs. And you don't spend time doing the rework. But to mm-hmm. me, those collaborations are are amazing. I just finished an amazing house with Paul McLean, who 
uh, we did that is just stunning. And, you know, it a, was a very back and forth tennis match. Uh, maybe we'll call it a tennis warm up because it definitely wasn't <laughs> adversarial. It was just sort of this free flowing idea of back and forth. And what shook out in the end because that dialogue was so uh, open and welcome right. was really quite special was really quite special. And I think having the, that collaborative effort, if I'm not, mm. if we're not on the same page, nobody wins. Right. How do you, how do you turn that around on a client though? If they're just not on the same page and they're like, this is what I want, but it's like, it doesn't fit location. It doesn't fit the property. It doesn't fit your lifestyle. It's like someone that takes a, a picture of a haircut. It's like that your hair is never going to look like that. you never will be happy. I think it goes back, I mean, clear communication. I'll go back to, I have zero problem. The way I work with my clients, everything down to even the way that I bill my clients mm -hmm. is not contingent upon them buying the piece of chair, the chair that I want them to buy, picking the piece of wood that I want them to pick. I take that right out of the equation because I don't want the money piece to ever get in the way. We'll agree on what how we're going to be compensated, then we move on. I want that out of the way so that I can have clear communication. Just say to you, that is a mistake. But why don't you tell me where you, why you want to do that? I have no problem saying that because I think at the end of the day, if you can't have an open exchange with your client, you're not working with the right client. It goes back to that, that what mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier. I, I you know, it's not, it's, it's, I'm on your team. I'm your consultant. Right. In the end of the day, if that's what works best for you and you want to do it, I will execute it to the best of my ability, but I'll have no problem letting you know. I think what you're trying to accomplish could also be done this way. And this is why it's better. But if you just want that, the end of the day, okay. it, it is their home. It right, is their right. home. If a client came to you and says, I just want your opinion of one important factor that changed this room, what would that be? Would you say lighting, artwork, paint? What would be the one key factor? So one key factor that makes the biggest impact in a room? Yeah. Oof. You're <laughs> <laughs> not going to make it easy, are you? Um, I mean, I guess the room itself, lighting. You could have an exquisite art collection, and if it's poorly lit, it could look mm -hmm. awful. Um, yeah, I, I'm always in big on lighting, unapologetic about lighting. Working with lighting designers is on every job. You, you must. You just must. Being a creative visual, do you always change out your own personal environment? No. No? I don't. I really don't. I live very minimally. I, you know, collecting and curating is a, is a hobby. It's a craft. It's my vocation. I love beautiful things. And if I find them, I'll collect them for myself. But that itch gets scratched for me in what I do in my world. And I feel very comfortable and very clear in what I like and what I want for me. And I have that. But the, that isn't, that isn't something that uh, doesn't come up for me more than Let's say I, I have other friends that are designers and I, you know, we'll see what they're doing, doing. And I'm like, wow, that seems like a lot to me. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is your own personal style? How would you clarify that and describe for it? My own, for my own personal uh -huh. world? Yeah. Uh, edited, thoughtful, informed, but a minimal. Minimal. Minimal? Yeah. Min I don't need it. Things can bring confusion if not done. Um, if not done thoughtfully. And to me, that would be the biggest mistake in a room. In the, in, <laughs> in the vastness of your experience in creating for others, is there one particular project that you have not done yet that you really want to do? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I 
the idea of doing a, a boutique hotel in London to me has just always been something that I, I would love to do. Um, there's something about British charm. There's something about the architecture and the spaces that you're given uh, in central London, where my family is from. And I, I, there's an understanding there that I think would put me a million miles down the road of, of a direction I've always just sort of dreamed of, of. I have it in my head. I don't even know where yeah. it is. But I have it in my head. Um, that said, I'd have to meet meet what the program is of the project. But um, yeah, I, I, I would love. I've always wanted to. Never have. Always wanted to. So, are you an Anglophile? Sure, sure. <laughs> I think that has many connotations. I guess it depends on what we're talking about. I don't know. What kind of, I don't think that's that this kind of podcast. So, um, besides that, is there anything else that's on the Ryan Jackson list of things you want to accomplish as a creative? I mean, I, I think the answer would just be to continue to grow. I mean, I mm -hmm. think I, my practice of creating furniture to me is is such advanced. You know, one of the biggest joys for me is to be flipping through a magazine and come across a piece of my furniture in a project of someone whose work I admire. Flipping through and saying, oh, loves, you know, designers who you have a really high level of respect for and you're flipping through or you're, you know, working in the shop and developing a new piece of furniture and, and seeing it sort of come I know what the journey of each one of those pieces is. Mm -hmm. To just see it in a magazine, it, that's what really brings me joy and continuing to do that. And as that would develop, that continuing, that cycle continuing, that's what feeds me. That's what feeds me. Or, or looking the other day, I was at my client's home and we finished the home and we were just uh, having a conversation about the place, uh, placing a piece of art. And her and I were walking up the staircase back up to the house and, we're, and laughing. And I just stopped her short and said, you know, this is the time that makes it the most important for me. And she stopped and looked at me and she said, what do you mean? And I said, just this, this exchange that we're having here. And she smiled and she grabbed my hand and she said, me too. Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, it's, it's that time. If right. you don't get warm and fuzzies about design, this is the tough business. And if, yeah. you know, the journey of a piece of furniture or just the sort of casual exchange that you're laughing with your client is reciting a beautiful piece of artwork in their house. If those aren't the moments that you thrive off of, you might be in the wrong business. Yeah, you're in the wrong field. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's an easier road, but if yeah. you don't have to do it, uh, well, that's it. Like don't. you go back to the communication and connection with your client when you have those moments, makes it extra special that you're doing the right thing. And that's and the, you know, I it. think the when reward, you're there, yeah. you know it. Yeah. How often do you add to your collection, your furniture collection? You know, it really depends. Pieces. I think on average, we're pretty prolific. I mean, normally there's about three to five uh, pieces a year. Five would be mm -hmm. the most we've ever done, but I I'm picky. I'm picky. <laughs> <laughs> like I'll, I'll get a piece to a point in, in prototype and just be like, mm. not yet. We're in a world <laughs> where furniture design right now is so everybody's got a piece of furniture they want to bring yeah. to market. And anyone who's ever had an upholstery shop has a furniture line in their mind's eye. And the craft of furniture making and developing uh, is something that I pride myself on. And there's, you know, there's many, I call them me twos. There's many mm -hmm. me twos out there where someone's like, you know, I have a, I have a metal bench with a leather top. Yeah, me too. I have a metal bench with a leather top. But why is that particular bench that you need to come and put your mark on and bring it to that? Mm -hmm. And that'll weed out a lot of pieces. That'll weed out somewhere you'll bring something and you'll like it and think, but what is unique that I'm bringing to the conversation with this particular piece? And that might bring the numbers down, but that, you know, right. I'm, I, it's, not, it's not a how many, it's, you know, which ones are they? So 
it, it's maybe never a big number for me, but uh, that's not my goal. Do you have a stockpile of ideas that you just have not put down on paper or? Yeah, huge. Like a stack <laughs> by my desk. I was actually looking because there's a stack by my desk of things that just like everything from like post-its with a chair sketched on it to like just like files of stuff. And they're normally within an arm's reach of me because I'm thinking about them while I'm in traffic and sketching it on a post-it that's in my center console or, you know, on a piece of trash paper or, you know, in my camera roll uh, constantly. Oh, it's always going. You don't turn it off? It, there is no off. No. <laughs> well, not for me. Maybe for somebody. Maybe, yeah. maybe I should talk to somebody else and see how they do it. Mine's just right. constantly rolling. How many uh, projects are you balancing at the moment that you have on? We have eight right now. Eight? Yeah, we have eight. And then we That's have our, the furniture lines in six cities. So between the two, that keeps us plenty busy. Um, wow. But, you know, they're all in various stages and in various places. So, um, you know, understanding the balance of them is what. I think that's what you really learn as time develops as a designer is you learn how to balance that process. It's a very emotional process for me. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, a lot of the times it isn't the volume of work that I can take on that will determine whether I do it. It's where I am in a position to balance the ebb and flow of the design process right. where they're going in a space that I can feel like I can be giving 100% all the time. And sometimes I can't. I can't right. give that person 100% and I'll tell them as such. Or I'm absolutely ready to take on your project and make it my priority because the number of projects I choose to carry shouldn't dictate for a third party, my client, how much energy I can give to it. Mm -hmm. If I say yes, I'm saying hundred percent. Yes. And when you're creating, is there anything particular that inspires you that keeps you on the cutting edge of your own, I guess, uh, wanting to explore your knowledge and expand your knowledge? Um, I think it's a good question. I don't know that it's one thing. I mean, I think, I think the idea that um, its design evolves to, and to a certain extent, design is iterative. Mm -hmm. You can't design in a vacuum. You'll have been exposed to many things. If you've read books, we've all studied art history and things like that. You're being informed and you're being sort of honed and curated or um, honed and informed as you're living in the world. Just your experiences will do that. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me that I... If I'm trying to make sure I'm, I don't know, the cutting edge is what I'm looking for, but if I'm trying to make sure I'm bringing my best and the most pure ideas is staying open. Going to a gallery opening on, you know, Southwestern at 10 o'clock at night to see some kid who's still in school putting out a, a canvas or working with an interesting material. It's not just happening at the Broad Museum to see Jeff Kuhn's, you know, sculptures. It's right. happening you know, at mom and pop art fairs, it's happening all over the place. To me, that's where I'm keeping it open the most. I, it, it's easy to be inspired, you know, standing in the Getty, uh, standing in the Getty Center, True. You know, looking yeah. at an Oud of Arts photograph and just thinking, aren't they both amazing? Right. That, that is inspiring. But it's also watching, you know, going to, you know, Design Center and seeing, a you know, a Masters of Fine Art exhibit of kids who are really pushing the boundaries. And am I pushing the boundaries in return? Yeah. Are there any particular projects that you can think of that you would take this bedroom, this living room, this kitchen, that kind of combined would be your essence? Do you have a project I designed that I think is most similar to my own? Yeah. Oof. 
<laughs> you trying to get me in trouble with my clients here? No, um, no. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I think if I had to say one, I don't know. My work is a response to other people. So I don't know that one in particular, I can see pieces of myself in all my projects. Mm -hmm. I can see pieces of myself in all of my, my hand, the way I do something. It's the beginning of how I can ask informed questions. So I audition how I would use that space and ask that begs the question for them. Would you also use it this way? Or perhaps you would use it slightly mm -hmm. differently. So I can see me in all of mine. I don't know that one of them is a response to me. I think it's Ryan's response to them. So like, all of them, I think I could see myself in every single one of them. I can see my hand in all of, in all of them. Would you say you're more contemporary then or more transitional, more? I like there... to use the term edited. Edited? I do. I, I don't, because <laughs> I, I think most people would put me in the contemporary realm. It's definitely contemporary informed work. It's not traditional work in the true historical mm -hmm. sense, but it's, it is absolutely informed by the basis of traditional design. Even in some of the white on white boxes that I'm known for doing for people, there's many concepts, applications based in high traditional design. So what's next for Ryan Jackson? It's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, I'm doing what I love doing right now. And if yeah. this continues, I'm thrilled. I love, I love my furniture line. I love collaborating with all the amazing designers that specify it. And the amazing partners we have that you know bring it to bring it to market, as well as I'm just fortunate to have amazing clients that whose trust in me is so high, uh, and I take that seriously. I take the trust they give me very seriously, and if it continues exactly as it's going, mm -hmm. I should be so lucky. And I'm not saying that in a Pollyannish way; no. it's the truth. Right, right. How many uh, showrooms are you represented around the country? Um, we're in all the major or six markets, so we're you know Dennis Miller. Uh, Sutherland in Houston and Dallas, uh, Maud in Denver. We're in a root and showrooms in LA and San Francisco. So we're sort of touching all the, all the Key geographic spots. regions. Right. <laughs> um, and you know, the, the beauty of our partnerships is they're like people who are trying to bring you know, the multi-line showroom, um, model is an old one. And to some people, it's, you know, it's not as, it's not as prevalent as it once was. Right. But I think the idea of being with like people who have who have products that are, though not incestuous or informed by each other, that the collaborative idea of designers bringing their clients to showrooms is never going to go away. We're not just selling furniture. There's an ex there has to be an experience. There has to be something beyond just what the pieces you're bringing to market. You know, I, my ego isn't so large that I think someone's just going to walk in the door and because it has my name on it, they're going to buy it. I want to show them why there's value in doing it. And without those right partners in the right areas, you can't do that. I mm -hmm. want people to see my stuff and get in there and have an experience with it. And I'm sorry, you can't do that clicking on pick your app du jour. Right, right. You know, you, you can't. And Given if they your... know this and just want access to them beyond that point, perfectly fine. But I think that exchange, that dialogue where the client can come in and sit in your chair and understand why the construction of your chair is what it is and can feel it, that will never go away. Is there a particular to... product that you have not designed yet that's in your pile that you still want to put out? Yeah, I want to make a bar. Really? I want to make a, yeah, I, you know, just there's something about the old, you know, bar chest, be it Ruhlman or, you know, there's something always really sort of sexy about that that I've always been interested in doing. And I, 
It's a good question. I don't know why I have it. Maybe I should. Um, but no, I think, yeah, I would have to say a bar if I was going to first could do the, my mind. You could do the bar with a bespoke hotel in London. How about that? <laughs> You're on to something. Done. There you go. <laughs> Where do I sign up? <laughs> well, besides uh, that, is there any other um, projects that you really want to do, like a boat, a yacht, a, a plane, or a particular... Yeah, I mean, I'd love to do. I'd love to do a yacht. You know, I have with my. I was in the navy. Um, you know, I I love being on the open ocean. There's something really sexy, and I don't know, just the open ocean. It just feels so magical. And there's a creative license that comes from. There kind of isn't anything more over the top than having a yacht, and I think the sort right. of just let it rip, show me luxury kind of expectation that comes with that has right. always been something that um, I find interesting. But you know, they can be done. Very beautifully. I mean, I think Christian Lieg probably did a few of the yachts that I would personally think were just in my own taste. Philippe Stark did a gorgeous one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be done in such a beautiful way, and they uh, offer a lot of space to really flex your muscle. And that'd be something I think that I was given the opportunity. I would, I think I could come from an informed standpoint in doing it. And um, you know, though though I've um, I've helped clients to their planes in the past. Um, there's something about a yacht that I think is a little, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just, maybe it's romantic to me. No, <laughs> oh, I think it is. Yeah. I know they're hard as hell because you have to use every single space imaginable for every item. Yeah. So is a high rise apartment in New York city. You oh, can't true, waste a square true. inch. So <laughs> I feel true, like I've true. done apartments in high rises that were like a yacht, but uh, yeah. You, you mentor a mentorship early in your career. Are there other, creatives out there that you kind of look to as you gain a lot of knowledge from them and what they're doing? Sure. I mean, I think community is a huge part of design, which I really value that in Los Angeles, specifically amongst the designers that are here, we're a very open community, which we Mm -hmm. share a lot of our experience, maybe, you know, celebrate each other's successes, maybe commiserate (laughs) in certain realms as well. But I really, I really value with I've been fortunate with many designers um, who I've had really open and clear communication with just about things that I think are working really well, you know, sharing ideas, bouncing ideas off each other. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm a member of the DLN and we're all the members. I'm always shocked at how above and beyond people in the DLN will go to really help each other um, and share, you know, share not just resources, not just, um, you know, the basic things, but uh, you know, hold space for each other to just, you know, touch base. Right, Collect, right. I think a lot of times when people leave big firms to start their own, they don't realize the sense. I didn't for sure. I'll speak for myself. Uh, the sense of community that you don't have. And I remember the people that sort of reached out and put their arms around me as I was developing my own company um, and consider them value par- valuable parts of it to this day. I think uh, collective environments help push the creative process for people that start on their own, you know, gaining that community, the sure. essence of uh, people around Nobody you that- did it alone. Nobody no. <laughs> did it by themselves. And, you know, I think that I had many, besides the fact of having a great mentor that I worked for, I had many professional mentors who were clients of mine who, you know, I'm an interior designer. I, you know, my father is a designer. My mother's a banker. So I think I was fortunate to sort of have a bit of a duality in that mind. <laughs> but at no point was I ready to have the business I had when I had it. And all of a sudden was like, oh, I know that I know I need to hire, <laughs> to hire a controller who has a clue what's going on because I'll focus on this. I know what I can do well, but I know what right. I can't either. 
that prompts me for a question I wanted to ask you. What were the, some of the key factors that you were really surprised at not knowing starting your own business? That's like, wow, if I had only known that. Um, I mean, there was a lot of them. I, mean, I was fortunate to really have my hand in a fair amount of the buckets in the firm I was working for before I went out on my own. So it wasn't naive mm-hmm. completely. Uh, but the one part I think maybe it was the largest was I think the emotional quotient. It didn't carry every little thing that happened didn't carry the same amount of gravitas when your name wasn't on the door. But when when the same sort of daily things would happen and it was your company, there was an emotional piece that carried extra weight, required extra energy to navigate when it was yours versus working for somebody else and doing it, though you were taking the same action. I don't think anyone prepares you for that idea that it's going to mean more. You're going to care more and that's going to require more energy to navigate. What advice would you give to somebody that's uh, young in the profession? What is the first thing they should do and know? When they're starting their own business? Yeah. Um, I don't know why this came to my mind, but I'm going to say it. The first time I met Douglas Bartoli, who was a famous designer in Santa Barbara when I was first starting out, he said to me, do you want to be an interior design? And he, did, he didn't even look up from his table. He was sketching something. And I was like, you know, yes, sir. You know, you know, very... <laughs> And he didn't even look up and he just said, don't. <laughs> and then never spoke to me again for the rest of the time I was there. And I, and I say that story because I look back and laugh now. Uh, but I think, the, you know, when, if someone goes into design, if you're doing it for the right reasons, you're in the right place. If you love design mm-hmm. and you can't imagine doing anything else, then you have a shot. But if, if, there's, if you're coming into design thinking that it's a way to get rich quick, it's not. If you're coming into design with some sort of exterior ideas about anything other than loving furniture, and if loving furniture sounds funny to you, you don't love furniture. Right. And it, so if, if your heart's in the right place, it might be one of the most fulfilling careers you can ever have. True. Yeah. You got to love what you do. You got to love to get up in the morning. and Yeah. Is there? Yeah, exactly. Very quickly. In your projects that you have now, what? Are there various aesthetic feelings between all of them? Are they all pretty much, you know, the range of being very contemporary? Are you, is there? They're all over, they're all over the show right now. I mean, I think um, with that idea of, you know, projects respond to people, places and architecture, who are the people, you know, like we talked Mm -hmm. about earlier, is it a, you know, a family from Beijing who wants to build a second home in the United States and they are doing it on a, beach view lot in Newport coast and it's 30,000 square feet. Are they a, you know, a couple from Shanghai who just bought a high rise penthouse and we're reimagining it and we're responding to the ocean view that is next to, um, you know, each one of those things will drive the program all over the show. Um, depending on, you know, different projects that I have for different clients, the aesthetic follows them. Mm-hmm. It will be informed by a look that I have, but you know, one of them is very transitional and it's because it's built in a, in a Spanish, excuse me, a Northern Italian piece of architecture. Um, there's my interior has to be informed by what's happening on the outside. I don't care how contemporary and aesthetic the client wants to have. If I'm not marrying the two of those together, we're both going to fail. The architect's going to fail. I'm going to fail. Um, and that's that marriage. A lot of the times people say to you, you know, what's informing that and what's the bridge between the two? The bridge between architecture and design Many people, clients ask that all the time. And the only answer I've ever heard that resonates for me is lifestyle. That is where the line of how you live in this home versus mm-hmm. the shape of the rooms. 
how does how does this home respond to the way you live through interior design? Now, when you step away from a client and the project's completely done, do you go back like, ah, I should have did this or I should have done that or that because you, you're a collector? No, I mean there yeah. there there is a thing in every single home that I know that what, if I navigate something similar, mm-hmm. maybe I would do it differently in the next one. But there was a series of circumstances that informed why I did it that way in the first place. So I don't know that it makes it wrong because one alludes to the fact that maybe it wasn't done correctly. But there is a there is a sense of growth that comes from one project where you see a similar set of circumstances. They won't ever be identical, but a similar set of circumstances come that you might navigate differently. Sure, every project, every one. But those decisions came from an informed place. The reason I asked that question, because you you said you don't you never turn it off. And that you gather yeah. a lot of things and you have, so I was just wondering, curious, you know, in your daily life, you just something clicks. You're like, oh, I should have done that in that project because now I see this and, you know, go back. I mean, there'd be little things like, you know, walking through a house where I'm doing a certain step detail in a ceiling and we've always done them at two inches. And then based on a framing limitation that we had in a certain house that had to be one and three quarter inches and walking into the house and being, the new number is 175, it's not <laughs> two inches. 1.75 inches right. is way better. And you just learned that by a series of circumstances. Two looked beautiful, but going forward, we're one and two. <laughs> well, Ryan, uh, before we wrap up, is there any uh, closing comments? Anything else you want to add and share with us? Well, f- first of all, thanks for having this forum to have open exchanges with you know people that I respect in, in the design sort of sphere. Um, so I think open dialogues and the format of this being so loose and it's sort of conversational is a great way to do it because it can be very formulaic. And um, I love design and love having a chance to share it with people. And, you know, this has been a great opportunity to do that. And, you know, if anyone ever wants to sort of reach out to us, feel free on all the we're on all the platforms um, to discuss it further. And so how can everyone reach out to you? What's what's your social media? Yeah, our social media is at Studio Jackson Design. Uh, and our uh, that is for both our furniture line and our design firm. And then our website's for studiojacksondesign.com and Ryan Jackson Home. There you go. So call them now. <laughs> there you go. Well, Ryan, it's been a, a complete pleasure. And thank you for coming on our show today. I, I, I thoroughly appreciate it. Great. Thanks so much for your time. It was a blast. Absolutely. Have a good one.